right, welcome into the Chris Collinsworth podcast with this unbelievable new desk. Look at that thing. I mean, look at it in Nevada. How sweet is that? We could be like uh, George uh, compared it to the Tim the Toolman Taylor uh, back in the day. Yeah, with, yeah. Uh, with Al. Um, I, I, I'm, I think it's great that like Steve Palazzolo looks like a normal sized human on one of these. So yeah, he has it all the way down yeah, to the floor. Exactly. So I like mean, I, until you you're around guys that are six ten, it's like exactly. startling. Well, like you're six five, six six or so, and like I'm six three, and it's like you you're like I'm uncomfortably tall. Steve is like prohibitively tall. Like when you're on an airplane, <laughs> it is kind of a grind. You kind of do want an exit seat or first class, but like with Steve, it's like there there's just certain places you that Steve can't sit. But he could sit here. That's the best part about this. I heard him complaining about the chairs, though. So, oh, my goodness. You know, it's everybody's got something. Everybody. Not this guy, though, Brad Spielberger. Brad, how are you? Our capologist. And I understand you're uh, crossing over and doing a little uh, little gambling stuff, too. You're uh, becoming a side expert. Is that true? Yeah, you know, you gotta gotta corner every part of the market. I, I feel as though you learn a lot from football. Um, you know, gambling. I think gambling on college football. I'm more prepared for the draft than I've ever been because I'm just I'm watching fourth quarters of you know San Diego State and Hawaii at midnight on Saturdays. So that's that's how you grind the tape right there. Are you divorced yet? <laughs> Not yet. Pending. Right. Pending. How about you, Eric? <laughs> I worry about you the most. <laughs> if you're watching the WNBA every single night, I'm like, okay, well, In the CFL. Yeah, no. I mean, uh, I found a way. Last night, uh, I, I took my daughter to ballet. That was a lot of fun. There you go. Yeah, yeah. you know, you, you kill two birds there. Um, that was that was that was pretty cool. And and she's the cutest when yeah. they do ballet. And what happened to the lip? What did you get? Did you get? Uh, I got hit in the face with a volleyball last week by my daughter. My one daughter plays, plays volleyball, and then it got infected. And so you notice, like, uh, if you watch the live shows last week, they were never panning to me because it was like fresh and you know, worse than it looks now. Um, but uh, but we'll, we'll survive. We'll make it wow. through. I've had a few fat lips and busted uh, noses in my day. Yeah. I, I know the look. And you just, I, I found if you just make up a story, the daughter in the volleyball thing is that, that's legit. But usually it's like. I yeah. slipped and fell but and I, hit, hit I, the sink, you I, know, I, it's I feel like, like the, but I would always make up something way better than yeah, that. I feel like being like VP of like your company. And if I would like, Hey, I got into a fight last week. I feel like that's not good. Right. That the truth is better than that. Depends right? on who you fought. <laughs> that's true. You might get a promotion out of it. I, I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, Brad, you, you know, everything about movement in the NFL. And so we, we actually had movement this week. With like big name dudes, uh, let's start with uh, Stefan Gilmore going to Carolina. How much was it all injury? Why he wasn't playing in New England? This is a former Defensive Player of the Year. This is two years ago, Defensive Player of the Year at cornerback. He goes to Carolina. He was injured, or I assumed he was injured this whole time. Was it anything to do with the contract, or was he really hurt? So I think it actually had more to do with the contract than the injury. You know, I, I do think the injury was legitimate and he was placed on the pup list before the season because he wasn't ready to go in week one. But it sounds like per reports that he is healthy now. It's more about getting into football shape when he arrives in Carolina. Uh, but I think it was more the fact that he was unwilling to play on the contract he had left in New England, uh, had a $7 million salary, and that was it for the rest of the year. Uh, and he thinks he's one of the best cornerbacks in football and wants a new deal, apparently in the range of $15 million per year. Uh, but, yeah, it's a lot of movement, a lot of cornerback movement. Five of the last seven trades have been four cornerbacks. Yeah, you, you talked about this on Twitter, which I think is great, and it's a good thing to underscore. When he goes for a six-round pick, it's, it's very much 
the contract is what's being traded, right? It's not because we look at like other trades, like Chris Herndon goes to the Vikings for a fourth round pick and you're like, you know, but it's a rookie deal kind of thing. When Gilmore goes to the Carolina Panthers and is able to be had for so cheaply, it's because the contract, and it's because the team that took him on was willing to take on the majority, if not all of it, and therefore they don't have to give that much up in return. It was the same thing with Julio went to the Titans. It was a very similar situation where, you know, they didn't get as much for him as maybe he could have gotten if the Falcons would have taken on everything. That That's an interesting wrinkle to it now. And and it, it, it I think, makes and you know the work we're doing to update the mock draft simulator just to sort of give people a, a little bit of a sneak preview very much is, you know, it, it, the, the complexity is, the, is that, right? As the contract is being traded and and it goes into what the compensation ends up being. Yeah, I mean, 18 teams in the NFL could not afford uh, Stephon Gilmore yesterday. They did not have the cap space to take on his full $5.8 million remaining. So Carolina, who was second in the league in cap space, is able to step up and make that move. Uh, and like you said, that's why the compensation is so cheap. It's also because, you know, Carolina now is either going to lose him and just rent him and essentially pay, you know, for 10 games of play, going to pay about $6 million dollars. Uh, or they're going to have to extend him. So it is. It's always about contracts as much as, you know, the players themselves. Like we said, Akello Witherspoon and Sidney Jones at cornerback specifically both went for six-round picks also, but it's because they're making, you know, near-minimum deal. Well, and they're three and one and in it. You know, if they're one and three, who knows if they make this deal or not. Um, the other one, it was Jalen Smith, the former Notre Dame guy who everybody will remember the story. He got hurt in the bowl game for Notre Dame. Uh, hurt his knee, would have been a top five pick in the draft, ends up going in the second round, had to sit out his first year with the Dallas Cowboys, came back, uh, was a factor, was a good player. Uh, he goes to Green Bay, and a lot of that was salary too, right? Because at some point, if he got hurt, they were on the hook for additional dollars. Is that right? So the sa- the, uh, the injury history is a key here. As you mentioned, coming out of Notre Dame, missed his whole first year. So he had an injury-only guarantee for next season in 2022. And if he were to have gotten hurt this year, the Green Bay would have been on the hook for, or excuse me, uh, Dallas would have been on the hook for about $9 million in salary next year. So apparently they approached him and said, will you remove that injury guarantee from your contract? He said no, and, and then he ends up, you know, a free agent. Goes to Green Bay, who desperately needs a, a linebacker up there. So I think it's a good move for them. Um, you know, the, the other one I was reading about today, and forgive me, I'm doing the Chiefs and Bills this week, so I'm just going to do a little personal homework here. You know, Frank Clark is coming off of, he's got a bad hamstring. He hasn't been able to play. He's got, you know, $20 million a year coming down the pike here. Uh, and so at some point, is he in danger? Um, because if they, at, at the end of this year, they could get off the hook for $12.9 million and that's the the cap hit. And so I, all this really comes down to, it's not always how good you are or how valuable you are. It's like replacement costs. Like yeah. we talk about it with your stuff. So th- if you have Michael Dana, who is has three sacks now in the last two games, and he's making three hundred thousand dollars or some yeah, seven hundred. He's going to have a high surplus value, right? Like on the field, he may not generate as much value as Frank Clark, but you always have to subtract what it costs, right? And and what it costs to acquire. And not only was Clark costly from a dollars and cents standpoint, Clark cost them a first and a second round pick in a trade, right? So they like gave it up. to me, and th- and that's always the thing. Like 
interestingly, we've talked about this a lot, Brad, which is the the discussion is almost always, well, they're going for the sure thing. We look at the Rams and we say, oh, they, they throw their chips in the middle of the table for Jalen Ramsey. They throw their chips in the middle of the table for Matthew Stafford. And we write articles about, oh, they're going after the sure thing, right? Well, sure, of course, when you pay that much for something, you, you view it as a more sure bet. But every once in a while, a minus 800 bet loses. Right, and that's what Frank Clark is, and that's what the Chiefs are having to deal with, which is that they put the Chiefs have the highest paid defensive line in the NFL, and they only have two players with more than ten pressures. I mean, that's awful, and like that to me, if like you're a Kansas City fan, you look at them and say, "Oh my goodness, we've made three straight AFC title games." You've made those despite the fact that you've struggled allocating resources. Like, imagine if they started to do a good job doing that. Okay, I, I tell you, the one that that you have to wonder about is Chris Jones too. Chris mm -hmm. Jones playing on the edge. So we saw it in the first game we did too, but like a lot of teams are just not blocking him and they read him. You're like, okay, we know we can't block this guy. So we're just going to read him. Let's yep. leave him unblocked and read him. Or because he's playing this new position, they'll bring the tight end over and sometimes they'll cut his legs. And then sometimes they'll fake like they're going to do it and swing him out around and go wide on him. It's like, He's learning a whole new position. Not that he didn't ever play out there, but I, I, it really brings up a value question in my mind. Like how many Chris Jones are there? How many Aaron Donalds are there? Or Fletcher Cox in the day? Those disruptors, those push the pocket guys in the middle of the pocket and the relative value of pass rusher on the end and he's going to be their best player wherever he lines he's up. He's had a better pass rushing grade playing defensive end this year than he has playing interior. It hasn't been his pass rush issues. It's been what you've talked about, which is early downs where they've struggled because other team, he doesn't have the muscle memory to play edge, to set an edge the way that even Frank Clark can or even Michael Dana can. And 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 like to your question, like this is what the Chiefs gamble was. And, and this is what a lot of teams have to do, especially teams like the Ravens and teams like Cleveland and teams that don't finish in last play, oh, Cleveland has, but like teams that don't draft high where you get edge. The Chiefs this year said, okay, we have Derek Nottie on a rookie deal. We have Kylan Saunders on a rookie deal. We got Jerron Reed for like six or seven million. He's been a guy that's gotten 10 plus sacks twice in his career. You can backfill at defensive tackle really cheaply. And so if you can move Chris Jones out to edge and he's just even representable, that's a better defensive line. And what's blown up in their face is the fact that Jerron Reed has not been productive and, and that calculus does not work because if they try to do it another way, which is to play Chris Jones in interior and find a cheap defensive end, well, they were unwilling to go out and get Melvin Ingram. And, and for the most part, those guys aren't easy to get. Um, so that was a miscalculation on their part, but a, a kind of a, a really bad one. Like they need to move Chris Jones back to the interior for him to be effective on all four downs. I, I think that's right. Um, let me go down the players of the week. I kind of, you know, PFF, we have all this data and half the time it ends up on the cutting room floor. Somebody, no, nobody even sees it. Quarterback of the week, Joe Burrow. How about that? He was also, I think, AFC Offensive Player of the Week. Uh, running back, Austin Eckler, who looked like just a little hammering stud in that game. <laughs> Some of the shots of him doing chin-ups with one arm, you know, it was crazy. Tyreek Hill, wide receiver, of course. Dalton Schultz with the best tight end grade of the week. Good for him. That one's a little surprise. How about Rashawn Slater? coming up and basically allowing just one pressure against Yannick Ngakwe in the game. That's impressive for a rookie. Yeah, that offensive line looks great. No Balaga the last couple of weeks, and they've still protected Herbert, 
very well. That was something we always worried about because he was so good with the pressured pocket last year. Was that going to regress? Well, he's gotten a lot better from a clean pocket, and they've been able to protect him more. And that that offense is one of the scarier ones in the NFL. Zach Martin at guard, just write that one down every week. Jason Kelsey, no stunner there. Jonathan Allen, who honestly, he might get it every single week the way that guy's going. He's been just playing great. Uh, edge defender, Joey Bosa. Uh, an every week guy. An, an angry human being after, <laughs> after that game. Tremaine Edmonds had a big game in coverage. Came up with an interception and... Uh, allowed only four yards in coverage, so good for him. They really need that if Matt Milano cannot come back and, and play this week. We'll see with his hamstring. Um, uh, Greedy Williams stepping up, uh, having a big day. And Antoine Winfield in Tampa uh, with an interception and, and uh, only five yards in coverage. So there you go, some of the players of the week um, that we lay down. So, Brad, give me give me from your point of view – Story of the week. What are, what are you working on? What are you focused on? What what gets you out of bed in the morning right now? Oh, I don't know about a, a big project I'm focusing on, but I, I think you know you talk about the Chargers, and and I think we're trying to determine early in the season if things are for real or if they've just had an easy schedule so far. And you mentioned Rashawn Slater has the number one pass blocking grade among all rookie offensive linemen. Asante Samuel has the second best coverage grade amongst all rookie cornerbacks as well. So their first two picks, both slam dunk, you know, home run picks. And I think they are looking like a legitimate contender in the AFC. Um, but yeah, you know, as for what I'm working on these days, it, it's trade mania. Like you mentioned at the top of the show, I, I think there are more moves coming. Um, I think that there are going to be teams that are pushing their chips in that want to win this year. Uh, and we also have, a bigger group of bad teams after four weeks than we've ever seen. So from 2011 to 2020, full 10-year sample size, after week four, there have never been more than seven teams with a point differential worse than negative 25. Uh, we have eight this year already. So we have eight teams that are bad, they know they're bad, uh, and I think they should go ahead and start making moves now and getting a jump start on 2022. So what, what would stun you this year? So uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, to you know, it's it's like I don't think it's a stunner to anybody in our building because that was sort of right. I mean, that was sort of preseason, yeah. What you thought, but I'm sure it's a stunner inside their building. And Ben Roethlisberger, last year, according to PFF, not so great. This year, sort of the same sort of thing. Any possibility of something happening there? I mean, you still have. Sean Watson out there. We've got, you know, there are different possibilities here, right? Yeah, you know, I, I would be surprised, no question, even though, like you said, I think we were more expecting of something happening there. Um, or, or rather, we were expecting Ben to not be good this year, and he is, you know, bottom of the league in, in most metrics, not pushing the ball downfield at all. I think the issue comes down to, you know, who are you going to go after that you think is going to materially change your 2021 season? Um, I guess, like, maybe a name you could throw out there is a Marcus Mariota in Las Vegas, but he's still dealing with an injury. Uh, you have Nick Foles in Chicago. I think it's more an issue of who is available. Um, you know, maybe you make a run at Ryan Fitzpatrick if when he gets healthy, the uh, the Washington football team wants to stick with Taylor Heineke. But uh, I think the bigger question mark is, is it worth doing anything or should you go the other direction um, and get a jump start on your future? Yeah, this is a very interesting one, right? So we have a strength of schedule tool, pff.com backslash betting backslash NFL power rankings the Cle or sorry the Pittsburgh Steelers have played the toughest schedule so far this season they play the third toughest schedule after this point 
And, and so we only have them projected with 6.1 wins. Uh, I think the interesting thing here is when you're looking at team building, you're an old team, you have an old quarterback, you have a coach that's, does he want to be around for much more of this? To getting Watson in the fold, I don't think is going to be anything like getting like changing things materially will not necessarily make things better. But tanking is also probably not something that anybody in the building wants to do. Like they're really in a rough spot in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, I think Andy Dalton's going to be traded, and it wouldn't surprise oh, me. I, I just I can't imagine once you've made the move, and it sounds like they have that they're mm -hmm. going to play Justin Fields. And you've got a viable backup quarterback, like it and makes Nick Foles. Yeah, yeah. And, and somebody is going to get hurt, and somebody is going to go, you know, short of the knee injury and whatever is going on with that. That Andy Dalton, you know, at, at least could win half the games in Dallas a season ago. Um, what so are, is that? Is that team Miami? Is that team? Houston is that team Washington like Taylor Heineke has been fine is that team possibly Indianapolis if Wentz continues to sort of struggle because we have Indianapolis with you know seven like we have Indianapolis with like a four to one three to one sorry chance to win their division like it's not a complete long shot if Wentz can't move around they have the 30th most difficult schedule moving forward they have a shot you know like they're not a terrible team but if Wentz can't move around Maybe Dalton is preferable there. You know where I think he'll end up, and I can't even explain the circumstances. I think he's going to end up back in Dallas. At some mm. point, in some way, I could see him, you know, I mean, they, they've got a heck of a team going down there now and a tremendous offense. And at some point, if you're Jerry Jones, are you willing to bet that, okay, I just need a just-in-case plan? And, and Andy obviously knows the systems, he knows the players, knows the coaches, does all that kind of stuff. And if, and if you know, Dak were to get hurt for four games and you could win two of them with Andy mm -hmm. Dalton, you survive the season, make the playoffs, and still have a chance to win it all. Whereas if you, I don't know they have that scenario right now. Yeah, and, and very interestingly, I think you're right. And I think that this is where, why the most trades have happened, Brad. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like, a lot of the mistakes that are made in the NFL are trying to win last year's Super Bowl, right? And if you try to like, so if you win, if you try to win the 2021 Super Bowl next off season, that is that, that that's foolhardy because everything changes. We see Washington football team have that problem this year, but like trades allow you to win the 2021 Super Bowl in 2021. Like right now, Carolina is running on good. They have, a, they have an easy schedule. They have a quarterback playing okay. Joe Brady's here for at least one more year. We don't know after that. So why not buy into it, right? And and I think that's a Dalton situation, which you're talking about, which is let's plan ahead for when the inevitable happens, which is something bad happens, you know? And if Dallas does think ahead that way, Dalton goes home. He was TCU player. Like it makes a lot of sense to me. A lot of great games this week. Um, I, let's just go through a few of these things. Um, the, the rookie quarterbacks, so, so Jets and Falcons, not much of a game, but the interesting story is Zach Wilson, mm -hmm. right? So we finally, I think we all watched that tape of him in college and we went, wow, you know, Tony Romo said, I think he's going to be a top three quarterback in the league. And it was like nothing. It was like nothing. We never saw anything. And then... We saw the flashes of the arm and the waving Corey Davis down the field. Yeah. And, you know, there was there was that that we saw in college finally. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, we saw yeah, a I couple. Mean, yeah, led, led the NFL with 165 passing yards on passes, 20-plus yards downfield. Um, you know, I think he just – the offensive line held up well as well. For the first time all season, uh, you know, they signed Morgan Moses in free agency, traded up in the draft for Elijah Vera Tucker, a left guard, and he finally had his best game of the season. But I think the Jets and, and that Zach Wilson offense, I, I think, is going to continue to get better. He still makes a couple of those throws every game. Um, he had one down the sideline of Denzel Mims in week one, I believe. He's had a bunch of those just just crazy arm talent, weird off-platform throws, and and I think he's limiting the mistakes now too. Yeah, I mean, you look at that game, he had three turnover-worthy plays against Tennessee, but he had the four big-time throws. He had big-time throws in all the games. It was just like – and we were watching the Jets – I can tell you this much, Chris. Every single professional better that bet was betting the Jets week one, week two, week three, and finally week four, they got all their money back uh, against the Titans. And, and so we were watching that game and uh, all the games, and it was like every once in a while he'd escape and make this throw to the sideline. And it's like no other quarterback can make that throw in the league except for maybe Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. The problem was is every other play, <laughs> you know. And 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 the reason that a lot of people bet them again this week against Tennessee was because Carolina great defense, New, New England pretty good defense, Denver great defense. You finally get a Tennessee defense that's not very good. It opened up for him a little bit. And and, and in London on on Sunday morning, it's it's going to be a Falcons defense that is the biggest slump buster I've ever seen in the NFL. Uh, so I think we'll get to see more of Zach Wilson and some of the magic he can bring uh, overseas this week. Okay, so let's go on to New England playing at Houston. Obviously, the game, not overly interesting. Houston slugged it out a little bit with Buffalo last week in the first half, but in the rain, and there was just there was just no way they were going <laughs> to – they were just so bad on offense. But so Mac Jones now, and I, so I get to see him in person, and it was a terrible night as far as the rain. We saw the ball get away from Brady sort of repeatedly during the course of the game. And, and and struggle, although if he'd have hit Antonio Brown with either one of the last two throws, it would have been like a walk-off homer, like the Dodger game or something, you know? Um, so did is Mac making the case? So I can go one of two ways here. It was a bad weather day. It was perfectly made for him to compete with Tom Brady. This was yeah. not going to be a down-the-field throwing kind of game. It was perfect for him. It to was have, a Brady game. It was a Brady game. I mean, yeah. He just got the ball out. He completed 19 in a row, a rookie record, all those kinds. And so is he, is he have that upside that some of these other guys do? Or was that just the perfect night for him to do what he does best, which is ball control, get it out quickly, take a hit, and move on? Yeah. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah, I think, I mean, when I look at this, I, I think of, he's exactly what we sort of saw, right? Where the floor is going to be tremendously high with him. Like, you're going to get 70% completion. You're going to get, um, you know, relatively few turnover-worthy plays. Um, the ceiling is just capped off. And I think the ceiling's capped off both by sort of his movement skills in the pocket, but also the receivers that they have. You know, Jacoby Myers is still their best receiver. Um, and... You know, even even you know they they worked you know Richard Sherman and and uh, Carlton Davis and Sean Mar when they were out there, like they just had they had their way, but it's still capped off by the deep by you know the average depth of target there, um, which is about seven point seven yards, not that high. But I think like on a rookie deal, you build players around him, right? Gilmore, you don't have his deal on on the books anymore. I, I think you can compete with Mac Jones. 
I think the thing with him, like you mentioned, the ceiling is particularly low. Um, you look at Mac Jones this this season so far on passes, 10-plus yards downfield. His adjusted completion percentage is 42%, which is 31st in the NFL. Uh, 7.9 yards per attempt is 28th in the NFL. And, and, yes, he's a rookie, but you mentioned the lack of a deep threat. I mean, in theory, they did sign Nelson Aguilar to a pretty substantial contract. So, um, you know, whether that was a poor signing and not a good, you know, utilization of a player or he's just not being targeted correctly, I suppose, is a question. But I do agree you can build around him. Um, I, I think the thing, though, is how good does the team need to be outside of quarterback to compete in the AFC East now that's going to have Josh Allen for the foreseeable future? Um, you know, I think that question is a fair one to ask. Um, the Green Bay Packers coming to Cincinnati, my beloved Cincinnati Bengals, make a huge comeback, battles. three and one, huge comeback to beat Jacksonville. Um, and Jair Alexander's hurt, right? Is is he playing in this game? Is he not playing in this game? Not certain yet. And there, apparently he might need surgery that would knock him out for the season if he does get the surgery. Wow. So, and... This is a cornerback class that, let's say, we're, we're, the jury's still out on it, right? Mm -hmm. Eric Stokes, the rookie, Kevin King. Um, but if they've got Jamar Chase and the Offensive Player of the Year in, or week of, in Joe Burrow back there, do the, do the Bengals have a chance to pull this off? I, it feels like they would. Well, in the betting markets, believe they do. It opened around four. Um, you're already seeing this kind of all the way to three. So the Bengals, think about this. Like, how absurd would it have been to think about the Bengals as just a three-point underdog for the Packers? I don't care where the game's played. But, you know, but three points, like, that doesn't seem like a lot. But people are betting the Bengals, and it's exactly what you said. It's Jamar Chase. But it's also, like, Tyler Boyd is a fantastic wide receiver. And the, no one gives him credit. Fantastic. And, He's and fantastic. No one gives him credit for how, like, slippery he is and how reliable he is and how much... And and I wanted to say this previously, but like it also when we watch all the rookie quarterbacks this year, doesn't it make you appreciate Joe Burrow more that last season in a division that includes the Ravens, includes uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, includes the Cleveland Browns, he looked like an NFL quarterback every single game, and and now he comes into year two and he's just improving. And to me, given like we've all been sort of like stunted by the Herberts and the Mahomeses and all that kind of other world, and it's like no, a young quarterback should struggle. And Joe Burrow hasn't really struggled. And in fact, last week, he had to take this team back. And he used all the weapons. And I think they're going to do it again. And Joe Mixon possibly being out this game means it's going to be less early down runs and more Joe Burrow, which I think is good for the Cincinnati Bengals. It's like Justin Herbert. Everybody just assumed that Joe Burrow would take a step back. Yeah. Mostly because of the injury. But year two and, you know, all that. And But maybe they're going to be better. I mean, it's possible they're going to be better. And, and Brad, that's a scary thought. If, if those young guys that were drafted that high and instead of that second-year regression, they're better. It's possible. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think there's still room for that offensive line to grow. I think you look at back-to-back -back weeks, you know, the reason the offense looked awful against Chicago, I wouldn't point to the secondary and say, you know, Jamar Chase or whoever was dealing with a tough matchup. I would say in the trenches, the Bears just dominated Cincinnati up front, but Green Bay is not going to do that. You know, they're not a good pass rush unit. Zadarius Smith is out with an injury. So if Joe Burrow has time against a Green Bay Packers defense that is missing Jair Alexander, I don't see why he can't put up big numbers again. Denver taking on Pittsburgh, and I think you probably traditionally would have gone, all right, Denver's one and three, and the Steelers are three and one coming in. It's just the opposite of that. 
but the Broncos, the first three games against 0-9 opponents yep. at the time, right? So we've got all that. Uh, Drew Locke maybe has to play for te- your guy, Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, it looked really rough last week. Um, one of the things to monitor is how good this pass rush is going to be with TJ Watt. Um, are we sure if he's going to play yet, Brad? Oh, say it again, TJ Watt? Yeah, yeah. so like is TJ like TJ Watt playing or not playing in this game it is a humongous thing, right? Because when you look at Denver's offense, like we we saw it topple over a little bit last week without Judy, without uh, KJ Hamler, without having those weapons and obviously lose Bridgewater. But the thing was, the die was cast before Bridgewater got injured, right? You come into the Steelers who are still pretty good in the secondary with or without Watt, I think, is a humongous difference here. And it looks like Watt's timetable is still a little bit longer than this game. So maybe Denver gets a break. But to me, I think like the, the most interesting part of this game is how low the total is going to be. I mean, we're almost, I believe we're getting a total in the in the 30s in this game, 39 and a half, which uh, I, this is like when you played, Chris. You know, it was a Bengals-Browns Slug game. it out, baby. At, at, Let's hand know. it off to Pete Johnson and get run over trying to block for his big Exactly. Ass. Like 39 and a half just seems like a throwback here. Well, that's that's me. You put me at wide receiver. Going to keep that point total down. NFL Week 4 is in the books, which means PFF has data and grades for every single player who logged a snap last week. What can you get with the PFF subscription? All of PFF's locked article content. PFF's NFL and college football betting dashboards are great power projections, cover probabilities, and betting values. Zero to 100 grades of every single player, including the top rookies on every team. Player prop tool, which shows over-under value for every NFL prop and more. Check out the highest graded players from week four and look to find early value on spread picks and player props for week five. Um, the, the, the Philadelphia Eagles at Carolina, all right? Philadelphia and Nick Sirianni, this offense looked really good. Now, they're playing Kansas City, but they have Jalen Hurts who can do some of the same read option stuff that the Kansas City Chiefs we're doing on the other side. He's a great runner. He's a power weight lifter. He understands the option game to be able to do that with an offensive line that was utterly destroyed a, a, a week ago that just had nobody healthy, basically, uh, up front. Is it possible that some of the Frank Reich stuff that Sirianni brings back to Philadelphia now is kicking in and that Jalen Hurts is really kind of the perfect guy for that? Or is this just Kansas City's defense is terrible and that's what happened? I think Kansas City's defense is finding their legs and that was a big part of it. Now, uh, was it you, Brad, that, that put in our in one of our chats that Devontae Smith has the most caught air yards in the NFL? Was that? I don't think I put it in there, but I know you know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, like Devontae Smith is playing fantastic. He's and, really good. Yeah, and you put him with Rager. Rager may not live up to his draft status, but he's good. Both tight ends, I think this is more of a Kansas City thing, but both tight ends played really well Sunday. Lyle Sanders is a good back. Kenneth Gainwell is a good back when you give him the ball. The problem is, is this defense, either by injury or by just simply unimaginative sort of like they're one of the worst teams in the league in how often they run stunts. One of the worst teams in the league as far as how they disguise coverages. So we do the thing where open, open, closed, closed. Like they do the, the least amount of disguising coverages. Uh, they don't blitz very much. They don't do a lot of things that pressure an offense. And I'm thinking like in this particular matchup, you're facing Joe Brady's Panthers, right? With Sam Darnold, who other than a quarter this year has played fantastic, right? 
that's where I see this being an issue where Panthers defense is more than, you know, better than Kansas City. Their offense is going to be able to take advantage of the Eagles um, defensively. Can the Philly keep this close? Or does it look kind of like that Dallas game on Monday Night Football? A good matchup on the back end to DJ Moore, who people struggle to try and tackle that sucker when he gets the ball in his hand. And Darius Slay, who's really played well. well you think about the, one of the things we've learned as part of PFF, the, the worldview we have is like separation matters the most, right? And you watch that. I think of that Thursday night game. I'm watching them against Houston, but even against Dallas, like DJ Moore is just wide open on like all these plays. Good. And and, and, it, and it, it's really hard to be a bad quarterback when your number one receiver is open all the time. Yeah. Tennessee Titans, was that just the two receivers being gone or is, are we, should we be concerned here, Brad? What do you think? I don't know if it was just the two receivers. I, I mean, the Jets are starting a bunch of rookie, you know, late round picks at corner. You'd think anybody should be able to take advantage. Um, you know, I, I don't know why Anthony Ferkser at tight end in Tennessee hasn't really done much at all so far this year. I, I think Todd Downing, an offensive coordinator, is, is a notable difference, notable change. They're running less play action, doing a lot of things differently. Um, and, and I think they're just not as good of a football team, frankly. We have the whole thing now. They're playing Jacksonville, and who comes off a devastating loss, a tough week for their coach. And what? <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, this is this is a hard spot here. Yeah, it, it is very much a hard spot. They are favored by, you know, th four, three and a half, it was at some point. Seems short. But when you don't have weapons, like – I was talking this over with George on the podcast on the PFF forecast. It's like we were talk, trying to talk through the over in the Jets-Falcons game, and it's like, yeah, but there's only so much bad defense can do for an offense, right? you still got to be able to block and catch and, and run the ball. And that's kind of what I see here where, you know, Tennessee can certainly run the football on the Jags, but are they going to be able to complete enough passes to really extend here? You know, I, the total in this game is 48 and a half. The Jaguars are pretty bad defensively, but I do think under here is a good bet. Trevor Lawrence looked good, you know, I think. But so much of what he was doing right, it was, his running mm -hmm. really made a difference. They, they, if he'd have scored, if he'd had one more good run and scored on that final touchdown, make it 21 nothing. Uh, that Jacksonville's got their first win. And we saw that, that in the 2019 uh, college football playoff, right, where he, like, when they were behind, it was 16 nothing to Ohio State. He broke that game open by running for, like, 60 yards for a touchdown. Like, he's got that in him. He's a tough kid. And, 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 and he probably has to run that much to, to make this Jags offense effective. Do we have a really cool matchup in the Browns and Chargers game with uh, Miles Garrett and Rashawn Slater now? Rashawn Slater, I just told you he was the tackle of the week. Um, and he's he's been just really, really good. But Miles Garrett is really, really gooder, <laughs> right? I mean, that sucker can play now. Yeah, that, that's got to be the welcome to the NFL moment for Rashawn Slater there is, uh, is Miles Garrett coming to town, coming off, what, four and a half sacks against Chicago. Uh, I mean, he's on a different level when he's on, and he's on right now. He he is just getting out. How about Baker Mayfield? Was that real last well, week? It sounded What's, like he has a shoulder injury. He's been the dealing other with. shoulder, yeah, right? His, not his throwing one, but man, it looked like it was his throwing one last week. That that offense. I mean, the the Vikings were giving them wide open plays all game, and Baker just couldn't buy a bucket the whole time. So that that'll be interesting when they get Jarvis Landry back. Maybe that's better. He's always liked Jarvis Landry more than he's liked Odell. So that that could help them a lot. They're always going to run the football, and the Chargers are a team. Now, the Raiders weren't able to take advantage of it. I think Josh Jacobs being kind of banged up was one of the reasons. But the the Chargers lose Kenneth Murray this week, their middle linebacker. I, I think that Cleveland's going to be able to run the football on, on the Chargers. The question is, 
you know, that that's what the Chargers want teams to do. But if they're going to get to third and four, can Baker make a throw? Because I like last week, he could not buy a throw, and 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 that and we know the guy on the other side. We know Herbert can can make plays. Thirty nine percent of his throws uncatchable a week ago. The the one to Odell, where Odell did some move, I couldn't even yeah. tell what it was, and he was just literally wide open. He threw it in the dirt at his feet, and I'm like, Odell's either the most unlucky human being, really rich human being, but unlucky, mm-hmm. you know, when he's only caught. You know, Baker at his worst. Yeah, yeah. Right? At the beginning of last year. He also got Eli Manning at his worst, too. Right? Somehow, it's either completely unlucky or there's something very strange going on with that relationship. I I don't think I can even come up and conjure up in my mind another one where where a quarterback, a really good quarterback and a really good receiver just haven't been able to make it work. Yeah, you know, it seems like Baker is such a structure guy, such a rhythm guy, and, and Odell is more of a freelancer, kind of like, you know, an Antonio Brown or a guy that just wants to get open and, and have the quarterback figure it out. But uh, we did talk with our injury expert at PFF, Mario Palazzo, about Baker. Uh, his torn left, so non-throwing labrum in his shoulder. Um, he says it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt him every throw. And, and I know if you watch Baker play, he puts every, you know, cell of his body into every throw he makes. Uh, he really loads up, and, and I think it's going to affect him throughout the season because, as Eric said, um, there were a couple times on Sunday where he could have hit uh, open receivers against Minnesota and, and just could not hit the broad side of a barn. Speaking of that, so we've got the Chicago Bears and the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders trying to bounce back. A horrible first half for them. Come back and make a game of it uh, in the second half. Um, but Derek Carr, are we in or are we out here? Because a week ago we were MVP – conversation george was i don't quite think i was on it all right yeah all right so we're we're at least you know he was one of many names thrown out in the mvp conversation and he comes out to start the second half and boom 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 and you go okay there it is so which one is it i think Carr is i think Carr is one of the best of that bunch right like Tannehill, cousins him they all they can play these amazing stretches of games and then the moment you need them Right, whether it's need them like last year, they were what six and three. They they play on your game uh, in in Vegas against the Chiefs, and Carr plays almost a perfect game, and they lose to the Chiefs. And the next week, they go to Atlanta and lose forty to six, and Carr can't can't play. Right, like it's you know, and it's it's always that way with some of these guys. It's a consistency issue. I think Carr, like if I could buy Carr's best game, I'll take him. But I, I can't be assured that it's consistent week to week. And that's why, you know, in a game like this, they're laying five and a half points. There's no way I'm going to bet Las Vegas in this game. How about Joey Bosa's comments after the game? Did you hear those? I mean, he basically said. Yeah, talking about how once you hit Carr a couple times, he kind of folds and he, yeah. he kind of gets nervous well, in the pocket. Yeah. I mean, that was fighting words right well, there. Well, now, when you played though, Chris, like there are two types of quarterbacks, aren't there? There is, there are. There are quarter, there are winners, and then there are money makers at the position, aren't there? Like, like I think of, I think of like, um, you know, the, like Brady, where he takes, and I know it's a little bit of a misnomer, but consistently took less than what he could have made at times mm-hmm. to continue to win. And then there are guys that are like, I'm going to make as much money as possible. I am going to keep my stats as good as possible. And they sort of work their way around the system. And the problem is, is those guys don't win as much because part of being a quarterback is taking the risks and taking and and putting your body out there. And, and when you look at like, 
I mean, Derek Carr's only been like this sounds silly to say, but Derek Carr's like never hurt, right? He's he always protects himself. He always he doesn't throw that many interceptions, especially and, since he broke his leg. Correct, and, and right? That the, and that was like the the jumping off point. The there. one year they won, and and like Kirk Cousins has never been hurt, right? And Kirk Cousins doesn't want to throw an interception at the end of that Cleveland game because they know that like how they end up getting paid. Whereas some of these guys are willing. You know, like Zach Wilson at the beginning of the season said, look, I'm going to throw interceptions because that's the price to pay to have efficient and explosive offense. And I think sometimes that, that and, and I think defensive players can see that, right? They look at a Herbert and say, okay, Herbert sometimes throws picks, but that guy's going to kill us if we're not careful. And they, they're not afraid of guys like Carr, unfortunately, for the Raiders. I mean, Bosa was calling out everybody, the referees. He probably got fined for that. And then he's going to, I mean, they're going to they're gonna be going after him yeah. this next That's going to be a fun division, isn't it? Like, oh, you're gonna, already You're going to be calling all those games in that division with the Chiefs being great and obviously the Chargers up and coming the, the, and then Broncos and, and Raiders not being uh, bad at all. And that, that'll be a fun kind of second half of the year to see how that shakes out. Yeah, nobody's, uh, nobody's going to be happier about that than Al Michaels. We'll be living on the West Coast this year. <laughs> yes. So the, the, the 49ers now, and I guess it's Trey Lance at this point if Jimmy yes. Garoppolo is, is – you know, still having the issues. So Trey Lance, who missed all but an exhibition game in college football last year kind of thing, this is now his time. But in this division, you start going, eh. you know, is this going to be another 49ers year where another injury to Jimmy Garoppolo kind of takes them out of contention? Yeah, I mean, this is this is interesting. Like the the, the line for this game is five and a half points. Cardinals are, are favored by Going into the season, it was a pick em. And then going into last week was two and a half. The market absolutely loves Arizona, and they're selling San Francisco. They're selling what they saw last week, which was, you know, kind of a creaky defense and Trey Lance, who does not look ready for prime time. And as much as, you know, 49ers fans wanted him, it's probably – and it's, and and so th that is a good question. Do they now become a 7-10 and 10 team? Are they a 5-12 and 12 team? You know, getting getting Trey Lance ready to play next year, I think everybody would view that as a disappointment given that at times during this offseason on Pinnacle Sports, San Francisco was third favorite to win the Super Bowl. So I, I'm going to – Brad, I'm going to lay this on you here. So right currently, the odds to win the MVP in the National Football League. I want you to tell me which one of these you guys would bet. Kyler Murray plus 450. Patrick Mahomes plus 650. Josh Allen plus 700. Justin Herbert plus 750. And then you've got Tom Brady at age 44 who's going to get all the uh, – uh, the senior votes from people like me and go, eh, if he can do it at age 44, screw it. <laughs> he should be the MVP. Which one of those would you take? I would have on Josh Allen at the current value. Uh, you know, I know their strength of schedule has been non-existent. Uh, the quarterbacks they've played so far have been, uh, I mean, as bad as a slate as you could possibly find. But that offense is clicking, and I think there are higher heights for them to go. Uh, Dawson Knox was good at tight end. Emmanuel Sanders was a nice addition at wide receiver. And I think he's just going to continue off of last season where, you know, he was second in, in all pro voting, was right in the mix there. Uh, and I think they're going to be, you know, they don't have a hard schedule coming up either. I think they're going to potentially, you know, sweep that division in the AFC East. I think Josh Allen right now is a good bet. Yeah, I, I like that one a lot. Josh Allen, though, so far this season, second most – sorry, third most turnover worthy plays. The only guy 
in the league that has more are the two rookies, uh, Lawrence and, and, and uh, Wilson. Um, I'm going to go with Patrick Mahomes at plus 650. Here's the thing. The Chiefs, like, they're – they're not going to sneak up on the league this year, right? They're not, but they're also not going to hide the way that they did last year with a ton of wins, you know, at noon central time against like the Falcons because their games are going to be higher leverage this year after they've lost two games. We're going to see Patrick Mahomes more. The Chiefs this season so far have led the NFL in percentage of drives that have resulted in points. And their defense is last in the NFL in percentage of drives that end in points. So they're going to be all over the place. He's going to put up numbers that we haven't seen out of necessity and, and as such you i think he'll win his second mvp and that's a good price you know it, it's interesting because josh allen is going to go into this thing and he hasn't played great so far mm -hmm. but he has great plays i mean yeah. he made a couple of plays in that game the other day that bootleg that went wrong and he circles back the other way and yeah. he finds you know steph across the field i mean it just every once in a while he goes you go damn you know patrick Mahomes would have been proud of that one right um, but Kansas City, I tend to agree with you. I was watching the Philadelphia tape, and this interior three that they've got now, I mean, Joe Tooney that they got from New England, Creed Humphrey, a draft pick, and Trey Smith. Those guys are looking like 10-year veterans in there, the way that they're doing it, and because they're so good at the RPO game. So here's, here's what's going to happen to Buffalo. I can tell you right now. They're going to come out there, and that they're going to – you know, look at the RPO. You're going to have Tyreek Hill coming on a slant. If that backside linebacker tries to get involved in the run game, they're going to go zip, and they're, you're going to get killed by Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Now, if you do what Buffalo did in the first game they played last year, which is go, I don't care how many times they run it, run it every time, take the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hand, I'm fine with that then they're going to end up, because of these three kids in here, Trey Smith, Creed Humphrey, Joe Tooney, they're going to wear people out running the ball. I mean, there were holes like you don't even see yeah. in Pop Warner football against the Eagles last week. Why? Because they had to stay in two deep safeties to have a chance, yeah. right? Their backside linebacker is out of it. So you've got two cornerbacks, two safeties, and a backside. you got five players who can no longer have any chance whatsoever to make a tackle you're, you're in the run game. seven on seven on five or seven on six. You absolutely are. Because your quarterback, they're so afraid on the backside of the play to to chase anything because he's so good. I, the the thing is, and this is this is why it's so it's so interesting to think about team construction because I think the Bills defensively have a team that can win fourteen games, but can they beat the Chiefs? Like that. That's like. That is the right defense to play against 14, you know, 14 out of 17 games a year where you make the other team consistently go 15 plays on you. But what the Chiefs showed last week, other than an interception by Mahomes, is they can absolutely do that, right? Like, you know, run, 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 like six yards at a time. They're just, they're the only team in the NFL that can reliably do that. And that's what Buffalo selects for. And this is the one team that's been able to beat them doing it. Now, two times last year, this season, uh, I, I think they'll be able to do it uh, on Sunday night. It, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I really – but as far as a team that I can almost guarantee you their offense is, is going to never go – it's literally impossible short of Mahomes, Kelsey, Hill, you know, one of those guys just not being around for the long haul – and now you add Josh Gordon. 
So Josh Gordon's going to add a little bit of the Sammy Watkins character, right? You know, just a big body. And every quarterback I've ever talked to that he was on the same, there is no human being that can catch the ball like this guy. Like he just snaps. He doesn't even think about it. He just flips his hands at it and, and he catches the ball. For him to come in and two weeks later, he's going to be probably playing in this game. I mean, off of however long he was away from it, you know he's lighting up practice. You know he's lighting it up. Yeah, and hundred percent. And I think it goes back to you know something you talked about, where Mahomes is a quarterback that doesn't have an issue like a Baker Mayfield potentially with a guy just kind of wheeling and dealing and, and finding the open space on the field, and then he will create you know missed tackles in open space and do things to to create yards after the catch. But I still think Kansas City. Maybe we'll get to that in a little bit. But I still think they need to make a move. Um, on that offense, maybe trade for a wide receiver if Josh Gordon, you know, they're not comfortable with him being, you know, their de facto number three option for the rest of the year. Yeah, I think the, the other thing that it helps them with is without Watkins, they've held out hope, and you did their game uh, in week two. They've held out their, the hope that McCole Hardman can be their number two guy. And I think what this does is, is get rid of all those pretexts and allow him to be kind of that, you know, Anthony Thomas, Tyreek Hill is a rookie kind of guy, as opposed to a number two guy, which has I think actively hurt that team. So, so this is I think this helps out two spots for the Kansas City Chiefs, which uh, the you know they didn't need that, but <laughs> they certainly will take it. How about the Dallas Cowboys? Um, the, the Giants come in, they finally get their win. Um, the Cowboy, it, it just feels like, and I, I don't know anything like this. But it feels like the teams that can now go three wide and throw the ball and put up points. If you're gonna if you're gonna pick a Super Bowl team, you're taking somebody that has a player at quarterback, has three wides, and we're not even talking about I mean, Kansas City's defense had a lot of injuries. They really couldn't be struggling more than what they are at this point. And yet almost all of us would go, Oh yeah, they're one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl, right? Back in the day, you would never pick a team like that. Defense wins championships, but is the game so different now with the RPOs and the ability to do what these quarterbacks can do that it, it just doesn't matter? Like, okay, yeah, I mean, it, for the Buffalo Bills, how would you play Kansas City? And I think Dallas has that same sort of feel to them right now that almost no matter what you do, and, and Zeke goes off last yeah, week. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll pitch it. I'll pitch this to Brad here. But like the the cool thing about Dallas is, and we see it with Kansas City too, is once you start paying that quarterback that kind of money, right? That's what we used to talk about with him. If you can take rookie deal wide receivers and make them into stars, then it the math sort of evens out, right? And you get the war per dollar starts to work. And I think what's great about Dallas is they made this bet on Prescott. But what they really did is they made this bet on Prescott Gallup. And CD Lamb being worth it, and 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 they've gotten surplus value from that, Brad. One hundred percent. I think the interesting thing there too is, you know, CD Lamb when he fell to them, they said they had like no faith that was going to happen. They were thinking defense, and ultimately they said, let's just take the best player available and take CD Lamb. What that does is, since that pick, they've had nine other picks in the top one hundred and twenty-five. They've used every single one on defense. So every premium pick they've had since they took CD Lamb. They said, look, our offense is set now. We have three good receivers. We have a good quarterback, good offensive line. 
we can focus our entire attention, um, you know, on this defense. And they bring in Micah Parsons and Osa Digazua this year in the early, you know, parts of the draft, leading the team in pressures, you know, first and second, Parsons and, and Osa. So they've taken all their capital since then and gone full defense. And, and they're now an average defense as opposed to a historically bad defense. And I think they can beat anybody in the NFL on any given Sunday. So Trayvon Diggs now for the has whatever he has. Four interceptions. Four interceptions, something, something crazy. like that, right? I mean, I I know who he is. I watched him in college. I studied him for the draft. I, I mean, he's not that fast a guy. He's long. He's got great ball skills. He's a good Dan Quinn corner. He's a good Dan Quinn corner. That's a good way of yeah. putting this thing. But he's he's good, right? He's not he's showing. He, he's showing how streaky cornerback play is, right? Like we saw, like our grades say this, so all statistics say this. Last year, we were all ready to write him off. Remember how bad he looked against horrible, Seattle on that thir- three o'clock game? And, you know, there was the game that he, in your game against Philly, where he was actually getting interceptions, but it was because he was getting burnt so bad and Ben DiNucci was throwing the ball so out of whack that he was somehow in position to make an interception. And now you see, and like, that's also a good thing for like guys like Jeff Okuda or guys like CJ Henderson who are getting traded and kind of maneuvering around. It's like, don't write off cornerbacks early on. And, and to, to Brad's point, draft them and then try to try to put enough pieces into place where when you get a good coordinator, when you get a good offense on the other side of the ball, your defense can be 16th in the NFL. And, and, and that's generally good enough, especially when you sprinkle in turnovers and good luck. But, but the whole thing with the Cowboys, get back Tyron Smith at left tackle, yeah. get back Zach Martin, who's been playing off the charts. And, you know, you, and this Connor Williams has been playing well. So, it, it, I mean, once you reassemble the the engine, then, you know, things start to fall yeah. into place. Um, the, the interesting one for me now is with the Giants. <clears throat> this is decision time for Daniel Jones, is it not? I mean, this is the year they've got to make up their mind and pay him, don't pay him, right? I mean, I think. Yep, after this season, someone, whoever that person may be, has to make that decision, yeah. Yeah, whoever it may be. But he's played much better than he has, right? I mean, you can make a case now that we should definitely – I mean, it's got to make people crazy in in New York because you're probably going to have to pay him a minimum of – 35 million. Something like that. Are you ready to do that? No. I mean, you – this is – and I know this is unpopular, and I know there's – you err on the side of the no at quarterback. You just – like – this is a good this is a good team. And like, you know, I, I think Andrew Thomas is gonna end up being pretty good. Matt Parrott's gonna end up pretty good. The defense, you have James Bradbury getting interceptions, you have you know Jabril Peppers, you have uh, Xavier McKinney, you have a lot of good Kadarius football. Kadarius Tony looked like yeah. Kadarius Tony finally after Aziz all the Jalari looks like a good edge player for them. Leonard Williams is great. <clears throat> and the problem is you have to either make the choice. You can have all of them, or you can have Daniel Jones. And I think when you put it like that, Brad, like it, it, I'd rather go back in the draft. Yeah, I mean, the thing is they basically had their rookie contract window this offseason. I mean, 21 million peer to Leonard Williams, 18 million peer to Kenny Galladay, all these huge deals come in. It's not like you can then now add in the 35 to 40 million for Daniel Jones. Um, and look, I mean, I know we're, 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 he's coming off a big win. He looked good against New Orleans, but their next six games, they have Cowboys, Rams, Panthers, Chiefs, Raiders, Bucks. So, you know, we'll revisit this conversation of should you pay Daniel Jones when the Giants are, I don't know, two and nine. Uh, maybe we'll circle back on, you know, our thoughts on this. Uh, the, the five hardest schedules in the NFL left Washington football team, Cincinnati Bengals, Pittsburgh Steelers, Chicago Bears, New York Giants. So, like, 
you know that that those matter right like that that matters moving forward and you project teams forward also green bay las vegas raiders too after that um you guys are like such buzzkill guys like, <laughs> like you suck the life out of any hope that these giants fans have uh well here let me add some hope the easiest schedule is going forward tennessee miami indianapolis new york jets and philadelphia eagles so maybe maybe those teams will be better than we think unbelievable you guys are the best, man. Thank you very much. That's uh, I, I love doing this. You it's know, I call this PE because everything else in my life is like work. <laughs> and and this is like a break. I get to go figure out the rest of the league for one hour a week. This is this is you guys are filling in the gaps for me. So I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you guys next time around.